All right, you can grab your Bible and turn to the book of Genesis, Galatians, Genesis. We'll get there in a bit. So last week as we began the Advent season, Pastor Jeremy preached to us from Genesis 3.15, where God said there will be an offspring coming, right? Right at the beginning of the Bible, we see this. The offspring would be the Savior who would crush Satan and redeem God's people. And so today we're going to look a little further into Genesis, a few passages that unfold this plan, that begin to unfold this plan now coming ahead. So right at the beginning here, I'm going to give you the two main themes of the the sermon here, so you'll get a heads up, and then the rest of the message will kind of expand on that. So here's the first one. God is always true to his word, right? God is always true to his word. God will do what he says he will do. We can count on that. It's a sure thing. And then the second theme we'll see today is this continuing time of Advent. So in the Old Testament time of Advent, they were anticipating the uh, coming of the Messiah, which again started in Genesis 3.15. God said there's an offspring, a descendant coming, and that time of waiting for the arrival of that offspring continued throughout the Old Testament up until the birth of Christ, the one who was to come. And now today, we continue to have a similar time of Advent as we are waiting and expecting Christ to come again. And so throughout today, we'll see these two themes. God is always true to his word, and there's an idea of this continuing time of Advent. So that's what we'll see as we go through. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into things. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's always true. Therefore, we can wave upon it. We can have faith in it. We know that it does not change or waver, but it is true and good. And so help us to receive your word this morning and let it affect our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first thing we're going to do this morning is have a look at Abram. A look at Abram. So turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Now, when we talk about Abram, this is the same person whose name will later be Abraham. So Abram, Abraham, same person, all right? So let's read Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Okay, so now as we think about Abram here, is there any indication that Abram was a worshiper, worshiper of God at this time? There's not, right? Anything here that tells you that Abram was a really good, righteous person in and of himself? No, there's nothing of the sort, right? He's a relatively random man, right? So why Abram? 
Why does Abram get this promise of blessing? Well, it's because it's who God chose. It's really that simple. This is God's sovereign choice. Sovereign choice to create a godly line that the chosen offspring of Genesis chapter 3 would eventually come through. So God's choice, right? Now, how old was Abram here at this time? 75 years old. Okay, so raise your hand if you're in your 70s. All right, so this is you. This is your time of life right here, all right? So keep that in mind, and we'll come back to it. But notice here that God calls Abram from something and to something, right? Go from your country. Go from your kindred, from your father's house, right? So we see here these three things. We see land, people, and blessing, okay? Your country is your land. Your kindred is your people. Your father's house is the, the area of blessing, Right? If you want to think of it, if you like the, uh, what's it called? We have all the uh, same letters. People, place, prosperity. Alliteration, is that what it is? People, place, prosperity. Okay? A land, a people, and a blessing. So leave those things, Abram. Right? Leave those things. Go from those and go to, what does he get to go to? Go to the land that I will show you. So there's new land. I will make you a great nation. There's new people, right? I will bless you. There's a new blessing, right? So go from these old things to these greater things, to these things that I have for you. I have a better land, a better people, a better blessing, right? And so here's a point of application for you as you might consider some sort of change in your life, right? Don't move, don't leave, unless God is calling you from and to, right? What do I mean by that? Well, don't leave your job. Don't move from your town. Don't change your church or whatever else it might be, unless God is the one moving you, right? So the question to ask yourself is this. Is God calling me from a land of people of blessing to a different, a better land people blessing, or am I just running away from something in my life? Right? Am I not wanting to deal with, right? Well, if you're just running from those, those things will follow you. Right? If it's a matter of discontentment in your job, that discontentment is going to follow you. Right? If it's just, I'm not happy here, so I'm going to try something different, that unhappiness will follow you. Right? So don't leave your circumstances unless God is moving you from and to. Right? Now, this is part of God's bigger plan and his purpose. Right? This isn't just a random situation with Abram. God has a plan and he has a purpose. And so what is that? What is God doing here with Abram? Well, he's continuing this path to the Savior who would come and redeem God's people. This is part of this. So as we think about Advent throughout the Old Testament, it starts in Genesis 3.15. There's a promised offspring coming, and it continues until that promised offspring, that Savior, the Messiah, is here. So there's this continuing time of Advent, and God works and moves through that to come to the Savior, the point of the Savior coming. And so this is a part of it, right? This is 
promise, in this promise of God, he gives a people, a great nation, right? So that means that Abram would need at least one child, right? In order for there to be offspring, a, a great nation coming. But at this point in Abram's life, he was without child. We had seen earlier in, uh, if you look at 1130, that his wife Sarai was barren and had no children. And so at this point, Abram's 75, and there is need yet for an offspring if God is going to fulfill his promise to Abram. Now I want you to notice one more thing before we move on. How will this land and this people and this blessing come to Abram? It comes from God, right? Notice what he says. God says, I will show you the land, right? I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, right? And so God is at work in Abram's life in this plan, in this promise that God is bringing about, it's God who is working towards that end, right? This shows us again the sovereignty of God, that he is in control of time and people and places. God says, I will do these things. He promises that he will do the work of providing for and blessing his people. God will do it. And so keep these things in mind as we move to just chapter 15 then. Turn over to Genesis chapter 15. Starting in verse 1, here's what it says. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So we see here, this is some time later. It's within, uh, as far as I could tell, it's within a 10-year ti- time frame of when this promise was given to Abram, right? But what do we see here? What is Abram's concern? He has no child, right? He has no child, And so he asked, he responds to God similar to how Mary, the mother of Jesus, responded, right? Remember when she was told she was going to have a child? What did she say? How can this be? Right? This is kind of his question. How can this be, God? How will you fulfill this promise? I don't have a child, right? I don't have an offspring yet, right? And he's told by God, fear not. So where might Abram's fear lie here? The fear is that God may not fulfill his promise, right? So Abram says, I'm supposed to become this great nation, but God, you still haven't given me a child. I still have no offspring. 
Right? So it looked as if God was not going to fulfill the promise that he had made. That's what Abram's wrestling with here. It looked like God's promise wouldn't come about. And so God assure, reassures Abram, right? Fear not. Fear not. So how about for you? When have you feared that God would not fulfill his word? When have you doubted God and what he has promised? You have no fear when God is near, right? You don't have to fear when God is close by, when he's near, right? Whatever you are facing, do not fear. God is in control. He's sovereign over it. Doesn't mean it's easy or fun to go through whatever you're going through, but you have no fear, right? Because God's close by and God is faithful. What does he say to Abram? I am your shield, right? God is a shield to his people, right? We can have a a fortress, a resting place and not have fear. And God says to Abram here again, uh, end of verse four, this man, speaking of his servant, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Your very own son. So God reassures Abram that he has not forgotten him, right? He will have a son, and he will have uncountable descendants. Has anybody ever gone out in a, uh, at night and tried to count the stars? Right? It's harder to do here when we have lots of trees. We don't have much of a horizon. Have you ever been in a place where there's a horizon all around and no lights shining and see all the stars? You can't count them. There's no way. Right? Count them if you can, Abram. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And it's going to come through your son. I will give you a son. God is always true to his word. He will fulfill his promises. And so in the middle of these unbelievable circumstances, what is Abram's need here at this point? Well, it's faith. His greatest need is faith, is trust in God. God is moving Abram further into a position where all he has left to do is to trust in the promises of God. He can't do it himself anymore, right? He can't take it on himself. He has to trust in God in great faith. And he does, doesn't he? He believes the Lord, right? He believes the Lord. So here we see justification, right? God crediting righteousness through faith, This verse and this account is used many times throughout the New Testament to talk about this doctrine of justification before God. We're not going to go into that today. Two weeks ago, I preached on it in Galatians. Um, So you can go back and listen to that online as as we continue preaching through Galatians. Justification by faith. But here it is. Here's the beginning of how we see that much, uh, quite clearly. And again, this verse, verse 6, is referenced multiple times throughout the New Testament in this doctrine. Justification by faith. So here, on a small scale then, we see a picture of Advent, right? Abram must wait in faith for the coming offspring promised by God. There's this time of waiting, right? For Abram, for his specific son, 
as well as this continuing theme throughout the Old Testament of the, the advent of waiting for the coming Messiah, the Savior, the offspring who was to come. So next, let's turn over to Genesis 17. Genesis 17 18, starting in Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Okay, let's pause there. How old is Abram now? 99 years old. Raise your hand if you're 99 years old or older. Anybody? No? Okay. Somebody's close. We, we, we won't highlight any individuals. All right. So this is past the stage of life for most of us, all of us here, right? Okay, 99. How long has it been since God first promised Abram a land, a people, and a blessing? Do your math. 99, 75, 24 years. Good math, Roy. Way to go. 24 years. How long has Abram been waiting for this offspring that God has promised? 24 years. He's now 99 years old. Okay? Skip ahead to verse 15. Genesis 17, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, now his, God has changed his name to Abraham, same person. God said to Abraham, as for, your, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? So here's Abram, now Abraham, laughing at the idea that he and his wife, Sarah, would have a child in their old age. This is laughable, right? But God says they will have an offspring. They will have a son to be named Isaac, how will that offspring come? They're old. How is this child going to come? God will give a son. Right? God will do it. God will fulfill his promise. God is true to his word. It will happen. And God will establish an everlasting covenant with Abraham and continue it through his son, Isaac. God will do it. Move ahead to Genesis chapter 18, verse 10. Genesis 18, verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, and I'm, Am I worn out? After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why does Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard 
for the Lord. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh, right? And so Sarah hears that she's going to have a son, right, 90 years old, and she laughs, right? This is unbelievable. These are laughable circumstances. Who would believe such a thing? Abraham would be 100 years old. Sarah would be 90 years old. It says here that Sarah was, uh, that the way of women had ceased, right? She was past, well past childbearing years. She would presumably gone through menopause long, long, long time ago, right? This was impossible. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham was as good as dead, <laughs> He's as good as dead, for sure, as it comes to having kids, right? Abraham is as good as dead. This is laughable, impossible circumstances. But then what do we see in verse 14? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Isn't that the question for us in life? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is it too hard for the Lord to create life in a woman's womb? Is it too hard for the Lord to save sinners? Is it too hard for the Lord to raise the dead? Is it too hard for the Lord to heal a sick body? Is it too hard for the Lord to protect and provide for his people, to care for them really well? And to bless them? Is it too hard for the Lord to restore a broken relationship? Now, it doesn't always mean that he will, right? We must not presume upon God, and yet we can trust in what he has said. His word is true. We can trust every promise of it. We can have faith in our great God and everything that he says, right? God is true to his word. So we see here, once again, God's continued promise, right? We saw it in chapter 12. We saw it in chapter 15. We saw it in chapter 17. We see it here again in chapter 18. Waiting, waiting, waiting. It's coming. God says, I will, I will, I will. And yet Abram is waiting and waiting and waiting, right? But an offspring is coming. God does not waver. He does not question his plan. His word will come to pass. Now flip over to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21, starting verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me, Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, 
who would, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God was true to his word. God was true to his word. He did what he said he would do. Right? Verse 1, what do we see? The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Right? The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And we see phrases like this all throughout Scripture. God says something and he does it as the Lord said. Right? Just as he said it was be, would be. All throughout Scripture. God is faithful to his word and he will fulfill all of his promises. Now look at Sarah's rhetorical question here in verse 7. She said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? No one. Abram's as good as dead. Sarah's well past her years, except God. Only God, right? Working and moving through the impossible circumstances that were laid out in order to carry forth his will so that all faith and all trust and all belief will be in him alone, not in some, well, maybe it just happened naturally. No, this is God at work doing his will, carrying out his plan for his purposes. There's no question about it. God is at work. And so now we have an offspring of Abraham, right? But this is not just a child for Abraham. This is a covenant child, This is God's provision for the coming Messiah. This is an offspring who would continue a godly line leading to the offspring promised in Genesis chapter 3. God is fulfilling his word. He is faithful to all of his promises. And so Advent continues, right? The time of waiting expectantly for the Savior would carry on. It would continue all the way throughout the Old Testament for about another 2,000 years after this until the birth of Christ. God is fulfilling his promise. He's true to his word. And so let's switch gears here just a bit and look at our great hope. Our great hope. This is speaking of us now. Our great hope. Our great hope is that Jesus Christ is coming to his people, right? Jesus is coming again. This is our great hope. This hope is not a wish, right? It's not a wondering and, oh, hope it happens. It's not a wish. Biblical hope is a sure thing, right? It's happening, and so we believe it with certainty. We believe that it will happen. Jesus is coming back again to his people. This is our current time of Advent, Right? We wait in great expectation for Jesus Christ to come again, to conquer his enemies, to take his people, to be with him forever. This is the greatest fulfillment of God's promise in Genesis chapter 3 and his promise to Abraham and his promises throughout the Bible from beginning to end that Christ is coming back. This is our surety. It's our hope. It's all leading to one day, God completing our salvation fully and finally and forever. This is our great hope. Our great hope is not in the things of this world. 
Our hope is in the person, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We look forward to our eternal dwelling with God in his glory, in heaven where the effects of sin will be no more. Right? This is our great hope. As those before the birth of Christ had expectation of the coming Savior, so we have expectation of the Savior coming again. We look forward to it. Right? We anticipate it. We wait patiently for it. And why is this our great hope? Why do we have such an expectation? Think back to our candle. Kids, what was the name of our candle for today? Expectation was last week, and this week is what? Prophecy. God foretelling. God told us in his word that Christ would come again. Right? That's why we have this great hope. God has said it. God is faithful to all his promises. We can believe it. We can stand upon it. This is our great hope and our great salvation. God has said in his word, it will happen. And just as the saints of the Old Testament believed what God had said, we too believe what God has said, and we put our hope in it, our full trust, all of our faith and our confidence in it. Let me read for you a number of verses from God's Word. You don't need to turn to these passages. Don't write them down. I'll give you the list later if you want. Let me know. But just, just listen. Just take this in. Receive from God's Word. John chapter 14, verses 2 to 3. Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'd go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Acts chapter 111. As Jesus went into heaven, behold, two men stood by the apostles in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will Come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 1 Thessalonians 4.16-17, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, that we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be with him always, with the Lord. Titus 2.13, we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. James chapter 5, 7 and 8, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Revelation 1, 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and to, who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 22, 12 to 13, Behold, I am coming soon. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. Revelation 22, 20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. 
Hallelujah. Yeah. This should be more exciting than a Super Bowl win or a monster buck. Right? This should cause us to celebrate, to cheer, to say, praise God, he's coming to save us. Right? This is our eternal hope. This is what God has for us. We sinners whom God has come and saved through this offspring, this promised offspring who came and did the work of our salvation, who is coming again to take us home, to finally complete it once and for all. This should excite you more than anything else in life. You have eternal life in Christ that will never end, that will be full of blessing. Nothing could be greater. This should be exciting. This is our great hope in life and in death. What else do we have but Christ alone? Don't doubt the promises of God. God is always true to his word. God will do what he says he will do. So let me end with just a few quick points of application here. First, hold to the truth of God's word. Hold to the truth of God's word. Read his word and know it. Believe it, every bit of it. Don't waver from it and stand up to our culture that denies it. Second, trust in all of the promises of God. Trust in his promises to save through faith. Trust that God is good and has your best in mind. Trust that he is working through all the circumstances of life. Trust that Christ is coming again. Third, celebrate the victory through Jesus Christ. Declare the victory over sin and death. 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Sing the old hymn. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. This our song of victory. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That's our declaration. Jesus saves. Rejoice greatly in God's great victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, look forward to the return of Christ. Look forward to the return of Christ. He's coming again. Set your mind there. Set your mind on that. Look for it. Wait for it expectantly because it's happening because he said it would and he always fulfills his promise. Look to the return of Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, what do we do with all these things other than rejoice, praise you, worship you, not only with our voices, but with our very lives. God, let us look to Christ, our only hope in this world and in death, in life and death. God, help us to know Christ more. Help us to have passion for him and for all that you have done and are doing and will do for our great salvation. God, thank you that you've counted us righteous through your son given us faith that we can be participants in all of this. Thank you that you are our Father, and that Christ is preparing a place for us. 
that he will come and get us and bring us to be with himself forever and ever. Help us to trust this prophecy. Help us to trust your word that it is true and that you will bring it to bear. God, let, us, let it affect us, not just here this morning, but throughout the day today, throughout the week ahead, through our coming days, that we may be faithful to Christ. Thank you for this great salvation. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, elders, come on forward as we come to our time of communion. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we are to remember the Lord Jesus Christ as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. Do this in remembrance of me. It's not just a simple, oh, just don't forget about me. This is an active remembering, right? So as we come to the Lord's table today, active remembering. Be purposeful about remembering the Lord Jesus. It's a calling to mind through God's word, through what he has said, do this in remembrance of me. And so what is it that we are to actively remember as we come to the Lord's table? Well, first we remember who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, that he is God made man, that he is Lord over all. Second, we remember what Jesus has done, that he came to earth as a baby in humble circumstances, that he grew up in perfect obedience to God the Father, that he went to the cross suffering and dying for our sin, that he was raised on the third day, and that salvation is in no one else but Jesus Christ alone. So we remember who Jesus is. We remember what Jesus has done. Thirdly, we remember what Jesus said is to come. Right? This is what we've talked about. He said he will come again. John 14, 3, he said, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. In 1 Corinthians 11, as we uh, consider the Lord's Supper, as speaking of that, in verse 26 it says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's coming again. So we do this remembering that he will come again. So we are to actively remember Christ in these ways. And so again, we're in this time of Advent, time of waiting, anticipating the Savior coming to earth as a baby. But we're also in a greater time of Advent we wait, anticipating the Lord's coming in power to conquer his enemies, to take his people to be with him forever and ever, apart from sin, apart from all the effect of sin. Right? And so we participate in this supper while we remember. We participate in this supper while we anticipate and wait for the marriage supper of the Lamb and the fulfillment of our everlasting union with Christ.
And so we participate in the supper with great hope, right, and great joy. And so as you participate this morning, do it in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord's Supper is for some people, and it's not for others. And so we have to address that. This is for those who are united to Christ through faith and walking faithfully with him. It is not for those apart from Christ and without faith. It's also not for those living in unrepentant sin, for those who have sin in your life that you are well aware of, but you're not willing to turn from. You're just hanging on to it. And so if today you find yourself in one of those positions of this Lord's table not being for you, would ask that you please don't participate, but just observe. I'd also ask that you speak with one of the elders after the service or sometime this week to confess your sin and learn how to be right with God. If, however, you have faith in Christ and you're walking faithfully with him, then please participate with great joy over all that Christ has done and is doing and will do to save you. So I'll lead in prayer of thanksgiving and we'll invite those participating to come on up to one of the elders and receive the elements and take it back to your seat and wait for everyone to be served and then we will take together. So let's pray. Father, again, we Remember the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is Lord of all, that he is our Savior. Remember that he has come and done the work of salvation in his living and dying and raising again to life. We thank you that he is coming again to take us home. And so as we take of the Lord's Supper this morning, let us do it purposefully remembering who Christ is and giving ourselves to him in great joy. And so help us to be thankful and joyful this morning as we take. In Christ's name, amen. Come on forward and receive the elements.
looks like they must serve. So the word says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All right, we have two charges for you this morning. Charge number one, hold fast to God's word and believe all of his promises. God has given you the Bible that you might know Jesus Christ that you might have faith in God. And so hold fast to God's word and believe all of his promises. And then second, wait eagerly for Jesus Christ to come again. He's coming. Amen. May the Lord keep you from all evil. May he keep your life. May the Lord keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Have a great week.